0: Baruch Hashem, hallelujah. What a great day, wonderful opportunity to be with everyone. To our first-time guests, we say welcome, glad that you're here with us, Baruch Hashem. just want to point out as we're getting underway here, that at the end of our haftarah, I just want to emphasize that Hashem had a condition with respect to the Holy House and David's reign and everything, and the condition was... That if you follow all my decrees, perform all my statutes, and observe all my commandments to follow them, then I shall uphold my word with you that I spoke to David your father. Baruch Hashem. Just a side note that God has an if uh, to his blessing, right? And that's because he's a good dad. Good fathers have ifs to the blessing, right? Because if we don't have the if, then we can just get away with seemingly murder and that, is the, that doesn't do anybody any good, right? Everybody said, Amen. amen. And all the teenagers said, Amen.
1: <laughs>
0: I'm waiting. Baruch Hashem. Let's have our blessing of the Torah. Today we get to, uh, as, as many of you know, we are going through the book of Esther. Today we are going to be in the sixth chapter of Esther looking at the book, uh, understanding its, its meaning and purpose and background and message to us. Today is the best part of Esther. The absolute best part of Esther is today's reading. And we're going to get the backstory in addition to what is written in the Holy S- Scroll. Um, and it's just going to be amazing and we're going to learn some life lessons along the way. And uh, more, than, more than anything though, we're going to get to f- have fun listening to God. Amen. Listening to God uh, act. Baruch Hashem. This is the uh, blessing of the Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in, in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring and our offspring's offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us know your name and study your Torah for its own sake Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Amen. Amen. In the bracha for the beginning of, for, rather, excuse me, for the reading of the Torah, I mean, speak <laughs> <laughs> the reading of the Megillah, there we go. I'll get it out in a second. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kidshanu bimitzatah betzivanu al megillah. Bless the of God, the King of the Universe, who has sanctified us with the commandments and commanded us regarding the reading of the Megillah. Hallelujah! Let's turn to chapter six and read. Last last week we left off with uh, Esther and her bravery, going before the king and inviting the king to a and and, and uh, a, not just the king but es- uh, Haman to come to a banquet and Haman goes home he's elated he walked out of there all excited because he said that the queen has invited him only along with the king only the two of them to a banquet they went to the banquet the king said all right we're here what do you want me to do and she says what I want you to do is I want the two of you to come back to a banquet tomorrow right and uh the king's like okay and Haman he's all puffed up he says she loves me she loves me she loves me he's, he's he's picking the flower on the way home she loves me she loves me not right he got home and the last petal was she loves me she was so excited and his wicked wife you know he's all upset though because remember last week mordecai wouldn't bow down to him so even though he has everything, he doesn't have everything. He doesn't have Mordecai bowing down. So he goes home and his wicked wife Zeresh says, you know what you should do? You should uh, build a, build a uh, Haman's you know, noose, a gallows, and you should, you should hang him. That's what you should do. Why are you doing? I should fix dinner. And so she said, you know, you should go to the king. But she did give him a caveat. She said, you should go to the king in the morning. And uh, tell him to get permission. Tell him you're going to hang Mordecai. Is that okay with you? This is the wicked wife uh, giving the advice. She is uh, not, the, not the righteous wife. So let's read verse, uh, chapter 6. It says, That night sleep eluded the king, so he ordered that the record book, the chronicles he brought, be read before the king. There it was found recorded that Mordecai had denounced Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's chamberlains of the guardians of the threshold, who had plotted to lay hold, or lay hands rather, on King Ahasuerus. What honor or dignity had been conferred on Mordecai for this? asked the king. Nothing has been done for him, replied the king's pages. Interestingly, there's a uh, midrash that the attendants, at, some of the attendants, where uh, descendants of Haman, and they did not want to read the part where Mordecai saved the king's life. So they said, we're not going to read it. We're going to skip over that part. But what happened was God, because you know God can do anything, right? He's not limited in His power. He caused the scroll to speak up. It was the very first podcast scroll. (laughs) And the scroll started to read itself right and so anyway because the reason they say that that's not based on just anything other than the fact that the the hebrew the way the hebrew reads the way the hebrew reads it doesn't say that they read it it says that the scroll read it the way that the that reads in the hebrew and the evil so it says in verse four the king said who is this uh they said and he asked what honor they said no honor has been given to him the king said who is in the court Now, Haman had just come into the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai on the gallows he had prepared for him. This was Haman's first mistake that God had orchestrated. Because the queen, or his wife rather, said, go in the morning. And he was so excited about hanging Mordecai, his gallows were up, they were pretty, the the varnish had finally dried, they were very, very nice. And the, the, the Midrash says that he got up there and he even, he even says, is, is this a good measurement? So he put the noose around his own neck and he stood up next to it and to see if it was a good measurement. And the Midrash says that a bat kol, a voice from Shemayim, a voice from heaven says, it's a perfect fit. <laughs> and instead of him saying, hey, instead he said, okay, thank you. God said, you're welcome. (laughs) By the way, the sages also pointed out and say, why do you make it so tall? Because 50 cubits was the exact measurement for him and all of his sons. So all of it was, but but he was so excited. He decided to go see the king in the middle of the night. In an unseemly hour, he went to see the king. All of that fit into a, a picture that God was creating. We're going to read in a second. So he, he's, he came at this hour. The, the, the king can't sleep. He's like, who's in the court? There shouldn't be anybody in the court. You understand. But now Haman's in the court. So it says, so the king's servant answered him, it's Haman standing in the court. And the king said, let him enter. And when Haman came in, the king said unto him, What should be done for the man whom the king especially wants to honor? Now Haman reasoned to himself, Who would the king especially want to honor besides me? So Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king especially wants to honor, have them bring a royal robe that the king has worn and a horse that the king has ridden, one with a royal crown on its head. Then let the robe and the horse be trusted to one of the king's most noble officers and let them attire the man whom the king especially wants to honor and parade him on horseback to the city square, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man whom the king especially wants to honor. And the king said to Haman, hurry then, get the robe, get the horse, as you have said, and do all this for Mordecai, the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Now we're going to read it in just a second, but a little bit about backstory I'll throw in here is that when Haman said about the robe and said about the crown and said about the horse, he was actually talking about the robe, the crown, and the horse that the king wore on his coronation day. And the king was, lo- or Haman rather, was looking at the king, and he was gazing at the crown. And he wanted the crown so bad that he got kind of infatuated looking at the crown. And he didn't quite notice that the king's face was getting red with anger. Because the king realized, you want my crown. And then Haman noticed the king getting mad. And that's why he backed up and kind of stopped talking about the crown. And the ultimate, sages say that Haman really wanted to do is he wanted to kill all the Jews. And then his plan was to kill Ahasuerus and to kill Esther. Of course, he didn't know Esther was Jewish. And kill esther and kill Ahasuerus and he wanted himself to be king he was going to become a vassal state of greece that was his ultimate plan so it says here so haman took the robe and the horse and attired mordecai and they led him through the city square proclaiming before him this is what is done for the man whom the king especially wants to honor mordecai returned to the king's gate but haman hurried home despondent, with his head covered, Haman told his wife Zeresh, and all his friends, everything that happened to him, and his advi- advisors, and his wife Zeresh said to him. Now remember, it was Zeresh who said, build the gallows. You should kill him. And by the way, in the Midrash, we, I don't think we talked about it last week, but in the Midrash, the reason the gallows were chosen because it was the only thing thus far that had been not been tried against the Jews. So you... People have tried to burn Jews. People have tried to drown them. People have tried to do different things, and they've all succeeded. And so Suresh was, you know, no one's tried to hang them. We should try that, right? And so uh, it's like the Spider-Man movie. I know you're asking yourself, what are you talking about? <laughs> now there's a scene of Spider-Man, he's there, and the bad guy pulls out a knife. And Spider-Man says, oh, that's right. That's the one thing I can't take away. Anyway, <laughs> you got to stick up with the movies so you can stick up with the droshies. So Zeresh says, if Mordecai before him who have begun to fall is of Jewish descent, you will not prevail, be, be able to prevail against him, but will, un, will undoubtedly fall before him. You know, Haman should have said, well, thanks a lot, Zeresh, because you knew yesterday he was Jewish, and now you're like, he's oh, by the way, if he's Jewish, you won't be able to prevail against him talk about advice right this is this is you'll never get advice from a wicked person so it says while they were still talking to him the king's chamberlains arrived and they hurried to bring haman to the banquet which esther had arranged this chapter begins the downfall of haman and it starts the redemption process everything turns around in this particular chapter and so I want to begin. I want to today. I want to look at this story, which is so amazing, and I want us to um, see the backstory because the backstory has a lot more detail that'll help us understand everything that was going on, and and more importantly, we're not forgetting that Esther is all about God is concealed, and yet He's operating in the background. God is concealed, and yet he's operating in the background. And if, if we don't learn anything from the book of Esther, we need to learn that lesson, that God controls and operates everything in our life. And therefore, we may not see God like, God, why did you let this happen to me? And he's like, I've got other things going on. Life is like a giant chess game, and we're involved in the game. And we think that God, like, why did it take so long to get my blessing, somebody might ask. It's like, well, I had to move like 50 different people and operate in their life and they've got their own little things going on they got their own little sitcoms going on and i've got to bring it all back to you so just be patient because those who love god everything works out for their ultimate good you should know that if you love god and you're serving god and you're doing your very best everything will work out for your ultimate good even when it doesn't seem so at the time that's the level of amuna that's the level of faith we have to have in the living god and don't be distracted by the illusions of life. Because everything else in life is just an illusion. All that stuff that you're promised, your friends and everybody, you know, promise you want to live secular, promise you want to, they'll give you all this if you just, you know, your life would be so much better if you just stop eating kosher. All of it's an illusion, all of it's a lie. What we think that we're suffering right now is actually working out for our ultimate good, and that's what we're going to see. First thing I want to show you. In the book of Joshua, chapter 5, and verse 12, this is in relationship to the, the opening verse that says, That night. Balaila hahu. Balaila hahu. That night. What is special about this? It says in Joshua, chapter 5, and verse 12, <coughs> it says in, in Hebrew, bayishbot, chaman mimacharat. Vayishbot Haman mi Vayishbot. Haman, so the word there, Haman, is, the, is spelled Haman. It's the same spelling, Haman. Haman, mi macharat. It says, the manna ceased to fall on that day. That is the first day of Pesach. That's what the verse says in the book of Joshua. The manna ceased to fall. But if we take this to read, Haman and we take the word Haman to, to read Haman... Then it reads, Haman came to an end. And when did Haman come to an end? On the first day of Pesach. That's when Haman came to an end. Why was Mashiach offered up on the first day of Pesach? Because he needed to do away with Haman. He needed to end, he needed to tear up the royal, the evil decree, rather. That's why it all had to take place in the month of Nisan, because it had to be that Haman was going to come to an end. This is why Hadar is the beginning of our joy, because all this was supposed to happen on the 13th of Adar, which is one month before Pesach. So everything that was supposed to be undone on the 13th of Adar actually was turned around for our good. So Hadar is the month in which everything that was meant for bad in your life is turned around for the good. If you're following a ship. Now, if you're not following a shim, all bets are off. <laughs> so this verse, I want to read some Ma'am Loez here. Can I read some Ma'am Loez? Yeah. We like Ma'am, right? Yeah. Mm. Oh, slick up. Slick up. Ma'am says, talking about this first verse, that night the king's sleep was disturbed. He called for the books of the records, the chronicles, to be brought and it was read in the king's presence. So it says, after building the scaffold, after building the scaffold, Haman went to take a look at Mordecai. He's, well, now he's going to go size him up. Will he, be, You know? And he found him dressed in sackcloth, teaching a huge number of small children. Now, I read this, and I want you to follow our present-day discussions about infanticide that's going on. Right? that's what abortion is it's infanticide abortion is infanticide it's killing human beings for our own personal convenience someone asked me don't you believe in free choice aren't you pro-choice i am pro-choice you can choose not to sleep with somebody and get pregnant you can choose not to be immoral you can choose to do right but should you choose not to do those things, you do not have the right to murder somebody for your own personal convenience. Since when do we do that? Let me tell you something. We go along, we continue down this path, you'll, you'll, now we'll start killing off old people because they cost too much money in the, in the nursing home. And you think, well, that's okay because, you, know, you know, they're old anyway. And then they're going to start killing off, uh, you know, other people who are 40 or whatever because they don't have the right education. Then they'll start killing people because they don't have the right political view. Then they'll start killing people because they're not the right color. Wow. It's called, you know, you say, well, that's never happened before. Are you kidding me?
1: <laughs>
0: but why is, Rebbe and I, as we were getting ready this morning, I said, wow, that's amazing. Why does the enemy hate the children so much? Why does the enemy hate the children so much? And why are children so important to a congregation, so important to a synagogue? Most important ministry we have. And Sar Shalom is our children's ministry. Everybody should be volunteering for the children's ministry. Everybody should be volunteering for the children's ministry. Most important ministry we have is the children's ministry. Far more important than what I'm doing right now. Far more. Why? We'll learn how. It says After building the scaffold, Haman went to look at Mordecai, and he found him dressed in south cloth, teaching a huge number of small children. Summoning his men, Haman had the children put in chains and thrown in the prison. He would kill them before taking care of Mordecai. He's got to ch- kill the children first. Why? Because they're the future. And he wants to silence their voices. Suffer not that little children come to me. Out of the mouth of babes I've ordained praise. Upon hearing that their children were in prison, their mothers rushed to bring them food and water. Eat well before you die, wept the mothers. And the children closed their school books, meaning they closed their Torah books, placed them on their hearts, and swore by Mordecai's life that they would die fasting. Little children. It says here, they sat in prison and their heartfelt prayers shook the very foundation of heaven. It was these prayers that annulled the heavenly decree against the Jews. Let me tell you something. A little child, not yet bar mitzvah age, a little child praying a simple prayer is more effectual than a bunch of adults doing the same. Why? Because our prayers are, are, are naturally inhibited by our own personal desires our own personal prejudices, our own personal selfish wants. And we can't help it because we have too much information. We have too much of the knowledge of the good, tree of good and evil. But a little child is pure and innocent. And so you teach a little child, hey, pray for the shul that God should bless us. Oh, dear Hashem, please bless the shul. Hashem says, okay, boom. <laughs> Why? Because a little child doesn't know anything. It's all pure. That's why Mashiach said, you've got to be pure like a little child. This is why I say the most important ministry is teaching the children. When we have the children in the synagogue singing, Shema Yisrael, that brings down so much more Kedusha than anything that we should do. And this is why the enemy wants to wipe them out. Why he wants to kill them. Why he wants to encourage us to be so selfish that we would murder little babies because for our own personal convenience i don't want to have a child why because it's i, I, did, I didn't i didn't want a, a child right now and that's my choice no your choice was to sleep with somebody you didn't want to sleep with and now you don't want the consequences grace is not get out of the consequences come on in case you don't in case you're confused i am pro-life <laughs> oh, amen He saw Haman, it said that, uh, so God annulled the heavenly decree based on the prayers of these little children, and it says in the next sentence, God disturbed Ahasuerus' sleep and he began to have vivid dreams. Now what did he dream? This is how God was operating in the background. He saw Haman walk up to him, remove his crown and his royal robes, grasp a sword as if to kill him. Waking up in a cold sweat, the king realized that this was not merely an idle dream. It was a portent that Haman was plotting against him. The scaffold that Haman had built had been meant for Ahasuerus as well as Mordecai. So that night was the eve of Pesach, a time of wonders and miracles, Mamloes writes. The Jews celebrated the Seder and praised God for the miracle of the Exodus, and he recalled the faith with which they followed him into the desert, When they left Egypt, he would intervene now for the Jews. The king was drunk and exhausted from his feast with Esther. He staggered to bed, barely able to keep his eyes open. But as soon as he lay down, he found himself wide awake as if someone were actually working to arouse him. It says here it was as if someone were shaking him back and forth, lifting him up and dropping back down many times. He heard a voice calling to him and saying, ingrate, ingrate, somebody who's not grateful. Get up and repay your benefactor. Not knowing what was meant, the king was very confused. At first, the king thought that he might have been drugged. So he summoned out everybody who drugged me. Did you inspect it? Did you taste the food before I ate it? It says here, still convinced that he had been poisoned, the king began to suspect Haman. Perhaps Haman had fallen in love with Esther and was plotting to kill him and to marry her. Maybe she also was a part of the conspiracy. After all, it was she who suggested that Haman should come, to, and only him. By the way, it talks about in these, these commentaries that Esther was okay with that because she thought, maybe the king will suspect me of plotting with Haman and he'll kill us both. And the sages say that she reckoned that she would lay down her life to save israel let me explain what that means because we're like oh that's really cool she was a type of mashiach so we want to understand mashiach we have to look at esther as an example she who was sinless would have been reckoned as a sinner in order to give her life to save her people she would have been reckoned with the transgressors in order to save israel so, later in the story, it says, and this man, Louis says, he was also disturbed about Esther. She had risked her life to come to him and obviously had something important to ask. Whatever her request was, she kept putting it off as if, she had reason to be afraid to speak up. What could she want, he wondered. She's a queen, lacking nothing. Most probably she wants help for someone else, but she's an orphan without relatives. The only one close to her is Mordecai, who raised her as a child. From you know. So tomorrow at the feast, Esther will make a request. If it involves Mordecai, it will be very hard to do. The decree has already been doomed, has already been made and doomed all Jews. A royal decree cannot be retracted. Even an exception cannot be made without ample reason. So in the back of his mind, it says here, the king had an idea that he might have owed something to Mordecai. If he had ever done the king a special favor, an exception could be made in this case. Anything that Esther would ask for him could be done. The king, therefore, asked for the chronicles of the books to be brought to him. It also says in the the, uh, Talmud and the Midrash, that the, the king was suspecting Haman, that he would thought that he was coming to kill him. And when, the, when Haman, who was just excited, showed up early that, that morning so right before dawn to come tell the king that he had made gallows for Mordecai, the king, who had just had a vision that he was coming to kill him with a sword and steal his crown, he said, Who's in the court? They said, Haman. It's nighttime still. And they said, he said, I knew it. Haman was coming to kill me. This is how Hashem was working behind the scenes. It says in Midrash Rabbah, and the sleep of King Ahasuerus was also disturbed for the following reasons. Because in his dream, he saw Haman seizing a sword with which to kill him. And he woke up in a state of terror. Upon awakening, he immediately told his secretaries to bring the book of Royal Chronicles to see what events had happened in the past. And then they opened the books and they found a record relating to Mordecai had informed the king regarding the attempt to assassinate him that had been planned by Bishana and Teresh. So it says, And immediately after this, when they told the king, Behold, it's Haman standing in the courtyard... The king exclaimed to himself, What I witnessed in my dream was accurate. This one, Haman, is, is not coming now at this early hour except in order to kill me. Now the Midrash takes a step aside for a second and says, Haman entered and the king said to him, Now Haman said in his heart, as it says in the scripture 6 6. Haman entered and the king said to him, what should be done for the man whom the king desires to honor? Now Haman said in his heart, the scripture says, whom would the king especially want to honor more than me? How many of you have ever said or heard someone say, God knows my heart? That's my personal favorite. God knows my heart. And the answer to that is, yes, he does. And the scripture says the heart of man is exceptionally wicked. And who can, who can fix it, basically? The Midrash talks about this. It says the wicked are controlled by their hearts. The wicked are controlled by their hearts. We need to be people who are not controlled by our hearts, but we're controlled, we're guided, we're influenced by facts. We're influenced by truth. We're influenced by actual history. These kinds of things. Not guided by our own emotions. Not guided by our own desires, our own wants. And so many times, whether it's political or whether it's theological, we make our stand based primarily on what we want, what we have, what we believe are emotional and we we pay no attention to the facts god's word is god's word but we don't want to believe it and people get upset because we want to believe something and the the wicked person are controlled by their hearts i was watching a video one of those man on the street kind of kind of things and these conservatives were talking to a group of clearly disturbed people And I'm not just saying that because I'm conservative, but these people were clearly disturbed. And they were, you know, the kind of uh, liberal kind of people. And they were talking to this lady, and they they were talking to her about historical facts on this particular topic they were talking about. And the lady was like, oh, I don't want to hear all that. And they said, well, you're not interested in facts and statistics? And she's like, no. And she actually said, no. We should be guided by our emotions and our heart. Well, it says the wicked are controlled by their hearts. It says, As indicated by the verse, And Esau said in his heart, May the days of mourning for my father draw near, that I will kill my brother Jacob. Similarly, it says in Psalm 14, 1, The degraded one says in his heart, There is no God. Similarly, in First Kings twelve twenty six. Jeroboam then said in his heart, If this people go and bring an offering to the temple of Hashem in Jerusalem, they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, the king of Judah. This is apparent in our verse in Esther 6 6, where it says, Haman said in his heart, Whom will the king especially want to honor more than me? But it says, In contrast, the righteous, however, are in control of their hearts. It's not that we don't have a heart. It's not that we don't have emotions, but we control those emotions with truth and with fact. As it says, Thus it is written, 1 Samuel 1.13, Hannah was speaking to her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Furthermore, it says in Daniel 1.8, And Daniel placed the resolution upon his heart not to be defiled by the king's food. It says... In 1 Samuel 27, 1, 2, David said to his heart, David said to his heart, we speak to our heart. Are you picking up on this? Hannah talked to her heart. David talked to his heart. Daniel talked to his heart. We talk to our heart and say, heart, this is what you're going to do. Heart, you're going to follow the word of God. Heart, I know you want to sin, but you can't. Why? Because God said no. Therefore, you're not. Whereas other the wicked people, whatever the heart wants to do, that's where the the, the, uh, the, the evil of the whole love, the LGBT movement came in. We, it's okay to love because we want to love. That's wickedness of the heart. That's somebody who's following the sin of their heart. When the Bible clearly says, you shall not be a homosexual, that says, you tell your heart, I'm not a homosexual. Amen. You tell your heart that. You say, well, I, I, I have those emotions, that's how I, I from a little kid, I, that's a lie from the enemy. Amen. I told my daughter on the way home from school, we were talking about this very content and somebody she knows up there going through that issue and they say, well, you know, this is the way that I, uh, you know, God made me. I said, that's a lie from hell. If you believe that, then you can't believe in God. If you're somebody who says, well, that's just how they were made, that's just, how, that's just inherent in them, then you, you are somebody who is rejecting the king who rules over kings, because the king who rules over kings says it's a, an abomination. He likens the sin of homosexuality to the sin of idolatry. Therefore, if we believe that God made me that way, then what we're actually saying is that God purposed me for damnation which means that he's not a just God because he can never make somebody be an evil sinner and then condemn them to hell for it. All the Jews believe in hell. It's called Gehenna. It's full of fire. <laughs> so therefore, if we, say, if we say that God made me that way, then we're saying there is no God because either he said it's a sin or he, he didn't. And if he, said it, if he didn't say it, even though he said it, then we're just all wasting our time. And by the way, you say you might say to yourself, well, that's not very compassionate. No, it's 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 compassionate to say the truth, because if you're about to work, walk on a serpent that can kill you. And if I just say, well, I don't want to hurt your feelings and I want to disrupt your, your stride. <laughs> I'm evil. But if I step in front of you and say, "No, no, 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 you take one more step, that snake is going to bite you. I've just been a man of compassion. The truth isn't always what we want to hear, but it's what we need to hear. You've got to tell your heart. You've got to speak to your heart. You've got to shock your heart into obedience. If we just be our people led by our heart, man, we're, we're, uh, that's, that's what's wrong with the world. We've got to do what's right. And what's right is not what we always think. I shared a historical fact during my, my uh, uh, class that I did on, on the history of anti-Semitism, the one that's online. And somebody a few weeks ago, I don't know who they are, posted a comment. They didn't like that fact. They were just ranting and raving. I won't say what the fact is. I don't want to get into it. It's, it's not important. But I just replied back and I said, you know, historical facts trouble a great many people. We don't like to deal with facts because we want everything. You know what that is? We, 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 we masquerade and say that that's compassion, but really it's selfishness because the reason we don't like facts is because when we, want every, we want us to be right about everything. That's why we say lies like, well, you know, God just made me that way. That's a lie. And the reason it's idolatry is because you've now put yourself on the throne of God. There's no truth in it, and so you might continue that way. You might continue that way, but you should just know that there's no truth in it. You need to be. You need to be going. You need, you need to be on your way to destruction, eyes wide open. You have that choice. You can choose death. You know that, right? You can choose death. Someone at the jail told me and Menashe that they didn't believe in in hell. Well, they're a very religious person. I said, well, "What's the point?" I said, you don't believe anybody's going to hell? Nobody's going to Gehenim ever, for anything, any reason. You know, some people go to Gehenim forever, some people go there for a time to be, you know, purified. There's different beliefs about it, but Judaism doesn't believe in Gehenim. Sheol. Hell. Or as Hadassah says, El. And he said, "No I, don't believe, I believe everybody's going whether they believe or not." And I said, "Well what's the point? Well, why, then why are you trying to spread whatever you're spreading? What a colossal waste of time. If everybody gets the red card, then why are we out selling them? I just don't, I'm, I'm just asking, Everybody's going to get a million dollars, and why are we pushing it? We really. Why do we believe in God at all? Anyway, that's just too far too logical. The righteous control their hearts, whereas the wicked allow their hearts to control them. The righteous control their hearts, whereas the wicked allow their hearts to control them. This is why, by the way, we need Torah. Because without Torah, we have no definition for love. Love is whatever we want to do. What's love got to do? Got to do with (laughs) it. If we don't have a definition, if we don't have Torah, we have no definition of love. Love is this. God defines it. Yeshua defined it as this Love is following my commandments. That's love. Amen. Love is following my commandments. That's why women will agree that when the husband comes home and he does honeydews, that's love to them. That's right. Vacuuming is love. That's a romantic love song. Rebbe okay. says, Write me a love letter. I'll go plug in the vacuum. Amen. <laughs> And all she's doing is singing. the Man. It's true. Love is emptying the dishwasher. Man. Love is the girls helping me break up leaves. Ah! Uh, woo! Hint!
1: Ahem! Yeah, <laughs> <coughs>
0: Love is doing, love is not just make up what you want to do. Love is not all that other nonsense. But anyway, y'all know, y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all are all Zadokim here. Now listen, how many of you know we we count the Omer from the 16th of Nisan? After, After the second night of Pesach, we start counting the Omer. You know that the counting the Omer is directly related to destroying Haman? See, and it's important that we do it on the 16th of Nisan and not on some other day like, like, as you know, there are people out there that have different calendars. Why do you think the enemy wants to get us on a different calendar? Why do you think? See, there's a reason behind everything. You think, well, that's just the way they read the Bible. That's the way they understood it. And that's just the, you know. No, it's not. That is a demonic intervention to try to get them on the wrong calendar why because Haman wants to live man Haman yeah. wants to live he can get you on a different calendar he can he can I don't, y'all may not appreciate I'm preaching good today mm. mm-hmm. no I'm gonna say it no I'm gonna say it
1: <laughs>
0: listen to this all right Re, Rebstein's praying for me all right here it is after his order from Ahasuerus, Haman went to find Mordecai. Now, Haman had just been told by the king, go and find Mordecai and honor him. So here comes Mordecai with the king's royal horse and the king's royal garments and the king's royal, royal uh, crown and all this other kind of stuff. And Mordecai sees him coming and he thinks, oh, he's coming to kill me. That's it. And isn't that what we say sometimes? Here comes God to kill me you know it's 8 years that this synagogue's been going and uh i learned a lesson finally cuz you know we've had ups and downs we've had difficulties we've people come and go we've had trials and tribulations a place to meet no place to meet and and i and i'm 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 a very emotional person y'all may not know that uh and and i you know i fight the 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 tendency to worry you know and sometimes bad things would happen. And I would think, oh my, this is it. You know, I'd start singing the dredge for Sarsalom. <laughs> me, me, me. <laughs> me, me, me. You know? And the next thing you know, Hashem, everything's great. Everything's just fine. So as I got more mature, and as time went on, things would happen. And I'd be like, you know, this is really bad, I hate it. But you know what? It's gonna be just fine, because if Hashem wanted to kill us, let me tell you something. He could destroy us easy, long time ago. <laughs> long time ago. If he just wanted to kill us. You know, so Mordecai's like, Oh, he's coming to kill me. It's like God's like, Mordecai, if I wanted to kill you, I could have done it so much easier. <laughs> just be quiet for a second. Go back to your books, it'll be alright. So anyways, what happens? So when they told Mordecai that Haman was approaching, he became very frightened now Mordecai was sitting with his disciples assembled before him and he said the Talmud says calls them rabbis but it says to his disciples my children run and escape from me so that you're not burned up by my coal for the wicked Haman is coming to kill me and his disciples responded if you die we wish to die with you you know like Kepha said that to Yeshua and uh After hearing the response, Mordecai told them, okay, so let's start praying. And if we're going to be killed, he says, let us be killed in the middle of prayer. So they concluded their prayers, but Haman did not yet arrive. So they sat down and began to study the laws of the Omer commandment. Why? Because it's the 16th of Nisan. For that day was the 16th of Nisan, it says. And when the temple stood, they would bring the Omer offering on that day. So the Midrash confirms that the Omer was brought on the 16th of Nisan, which is why we count from the 16th of Nisan. Okay. When Haman came toward them, he asked them, What topic are you presently studying? And they replied, We're studying the command to bring the Omer offering, as it is stated, when you bring a meal offering of the first grain to Hashem. And then it says, But he said to them, what did the omer consist of? Was it gold or was it silver? And they replied to him, it was neither. It was neither gold nor it was silver, nor was it even comprised of wheat. Rather, it consisted of barley, which is considered even lower class of grain. He said, he then inquired of him, what was its value? Was it of 10 kanatars? And they said to him, even a large omer was valued only at 10 menea. And Haman then said to them, dejectedly, Come forth, for your ten menea of barley has triumphed over my ten thousand silver katars. That is, my, sil- my ten thousand silver talents that I gave Osiris. The Omer is Yeshua the Messiah. And he said, you could read this to say, what is that Omer worth? He said he was dejected by men, despised by men. There was nothing about his appearance that we should love him. But yet he was crushed for our iniquity. The stripes that brought us shalom and healing were upon his back. And the enemy, Haman, looks and says, Your seemingly impoverished Mashiach has overcome my tens of thousands of dollars that I've spent for your destruction. The Omer is what destroyed haman as it says here maharal explains that the omer represents our recognition of god's utter control over the natural order of the the world and amplifies our awareness of all the hidden miracles that he orchestrates throughout the lengthy development of the crop yeshua i would say is the epitome of god's concealment revealed He is that Omer, that we don't see all the underpinnings of how he came into existence. We don't have all the answers. We know he's divine, but we don't have all the answers. But we just know that there's a crop there, and that crop is what brought down Haman. As it says, Esther's second dinner, at which Ahasuerus turned on Haman in order that he be hanged, occurred on the 16th of Nisan, the very day on which the Omer was offered when the temple stood also the day in which Messiah Yeshua was resurrected. Messiah Yeshua's resurrection, his first fruits of resurrection, is what brought down Haman and destroyed the evil decree hanging over our heads. Now here, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. We're about to read the backstory behind this whole event. When Mordecai had finished praying, Haman told Mordecai, Arise and don this royal attire. And Mordecai responded to him, What are you, disgracing the monarchy? Can an ordinary subject don royal attire before being bathed? So Haman went out to seek a bathhouse attendant but could find nobody. Left with no choice, what did Haman do? He girded his loins, entered the bathhouse, and bathed Mordecai himself. When Mordecai, now by the way, I should mention that Mordecai, or excuse me, Haman had been a bathhouse attendant and a barber before he became the royal royal man, which all the other attendants knew and they hated him for it because he was a nobody. He was a, a barber and a bathhouse attendant and he became second to the king. See, at the end of days, we're going to look at the devil and we're going to say, this is the one who... Is this guy, this barber and bathhouse attendant, is the one who troubled the nations for all these years? All these millennia? We forget how small the enemy is and how big God is. Haman right. was nothing more than Floyd's barbershop. Nice. But, but Floyd's nice, though we like Floyd. We like Floyd. No, don't, don't pick on Floyd. Left with no choice, what did Haman do? He he bathed him. When Mordecai emerged, Haman said to him, Now take and don the royal crown. And Mordecai said to him, Why are you disgracing the monarchy? Can an ordinary subject such as myself wear the royal crown without first taking a haircut? (laughs) Haman went to seek a barber but couldn't find nobody. So what did he do? He went to the house and fetched scissors and sat down and began to give Mordecai a haircut. While he was cutting Mordecai's hair, Haman began to groan. And Mordecai asked, Why are you groaning? And Haman replied to Mordecai, Woe to the father of this man. I, who am a master over all the king's affairs and master of the king's courts, have now become a bathhouse attendant and a barber. Mordecai said to Haman, Is this your question? Why do you have trouble understanding this? Do you think that I'm not aware that the father of that person, that is your father, was a bathhouse attendant and a barber in the town of Curanus? It says in the Talmud, that a little slight variant on the story, Mordecai said, don't you know that I know that you're nothing but a bathroom attendant and a barber? That's who you were before all of this, and that's who you're going to be right now? And you simply went home and found this equipment, and you're using it to cut my hair. You went back and got your stuff. That's why I said this is the funnest part of the story. Haman said to Mordecai, Arise and ride on this royal house. But Mordecai responded to Haman and said, I have no strength to mount the horse on my own, for I'm an old man. To which Haman countered and said, I, I'm old too. <laughs> However, Mordecai retorted to Haman and said, But do you cause this harm to yourself? In other words, this is your idea. <laughs> So Haman said to Mordecai, "Get up, for I'm lowering my shoulders, and you will step on me. Mount the horse and ride." So he bent over, and Haman used, and Mordecai used him as a stepping stool to get on the horse. And the Talmud says that when he did that, he kicked him in the face. Uh. That's what it says in the Talmud. It says in the Talmud he kicked him in the face. Talmud sixteen a Meg- Megillah sixteen a Sleka. And Haman said, Don't, "Doesn't Scripture says not to tread not on your, you know, or rejoice not on your enemies?" When, when they fall before you, and Mordecai says, it says, but we'll tread on your back. <laughs> he says, this was to fulfill what is written in your verse. Your enemies, your enemies will lie to you, but you, you will trample the haughty ones. Devarim De 33, 29. So it says that, <clears throat> that uh, continuing the story. Once Mordecai was mounted atop the royal horse, he began to praise the Holy One. What did he say? As he was being carried through the streets and, and uh, paraded around, Mordecai said, "I will exalt you, Adonai, for you have drawn me up and not let my foes rejoice over me. Adonai, my God, I cried to you and you healed me. Adonai, you have raised up my soul from the lower world. You have preserved me from my descendant to the pit, from my descent to the pit." Psalm thirty-two through four. And during this time, what were the disciples, what were the rabbis saying? They said, Sing to Hashem, as devout ones, and give thanks to His holy name. For His anger endures for a moment, but life results from His favor. In the evening, one lies down, but with dawn a cry of joy. And what was the wicked Haman saying? He said, I said in my heart, I said in my serenity, I would never falter. But Hashem, all is through your favor. You supported my greatness with might. Should you but conceal your face, I would be confounded. And what did Esther say? Esther said, to you, Adonai, I would call, and to the Lord I would appeal. What gain is there in my death, in my descent to the pit? Will the dust acknowledge you? Will it declare your truth? And what was the congregation of Israel saying? They said, hear, Adonai, and favor me. You have transformed my lament into dancing for me. And what was the Holy Spirit saying? The Holy Spirit of Hashem said, So that my soul might sing to you and not be stilled. Adonai, my God, forever will I thank you. One final thing about this story. Because we see the wicked Haman followed the desires of his heart. And when we follow the desires of our heart, rather than following the word of God and following God's truth, our end is an end of Gehenim. But it's not just that. We bring upon ourselves humiliation and destruction and turmoil for our life. The end result is just the icing on the cake. For the believer, the icing on the cake is to go to Shemayim and live in Ganadin. Meanwhile, we have success here. We have a little bit of failure, but our end result is awesome. For the wicked, it's nothing but a life of of heartache and turmoil. This is why you can have wicked people, by the way, who are wealthy beyond imagination, and yet they're depressed. Whereas a righteous person who has money is happy. But listen, it says in the Scripture that he, he was despondent. He left despondent and his head covered. It says here, As he was leadi- leading Mordecai through the streets, Haman's daughter saw them from a rooftop, and she was certain, as Haman had been, that the only one worthy of such an auspicious honor was her father. And who had the humiliating duty of leading him through the streets and shouting his praises? undoubtedly it was mordecai being forced to debase himself by paying tribute to his enemies the daughter looked down and said that's got to be my dad on the horse and that has to be that mordecai because she had believed the lie she had believed the lie she had believed the brainwashing of her father that you should just follow your heart of. so she thought that she was right And she's about to be a part of the story in a tragic way. It says here, so it says, um, in deciding to add to Mordecai's discomfort, she, she emptied a chamber pot on his head. But when Mordecai looked up in shock with filth dripping down his face, She realized that she had soiled her very own father. Mortified at her error, she jumped off the roof and killed herself in shame. This is from Megillah 16a. And that's why Haman went home despondent over his daughter's death and his head covered because of the refuse that had been poured on him. When God rescues us, the rescue is complete. And when God wants to bring humiliation, he, the humiliation that he brings is also complete. What we have before us is a choice. We can either be the Haman or we can be the Mordecai. And the thing that we need to know is that there, there are no in-between kingdoms. Everybody likes to think, the enemy likes to lie to us and say, well, you can either be a righteous person in God's kingdom or, you know, there's other avenues, there's other options. The answer is no, there's either you're righteous and following God's word, or you're on the other side. This is why Yeshua said, you're either for me or you're against me. You're either for me or you're against me. You can't be in the middle. You can't be neutral. There's no, there's no Finlands, there's no Norways, there's no Switzerland's here. We can't be in the middle. Like, I'm, not, I'm just not going to be involved in the game. Because if you're not involved in the game, then you're actively against the kingdom of God. So we need to decide who we're going to be. And God is painting this picture for us so vividly and saying, listen, I don't want you to be a Haman. I don't want you to go to your end with filth dripping off your chin. I want you to be the one riding on the horse, riding with a crown on your head being driven through the city streets and proclaimed, look what happens to the one the king wants to honor. And how do we get there? We have hearts of humility. We have hearts of submission. We have a heart that says, God, I want to follow you. And we have a heart that tells our heart what to do. Our heart doesn't tell us what to do. We tell our heart what to do. And that way, when we get to the Shemayim, We'll take that crown that he's put on our head, and we'll be the ones casting it at his feet and say, we don't deserve this. And you know what he does after he casts it at his feet? He picks it up and puts it back on our head and says, the very reason why you deserve it is because you were willing to cast it. But what do we know? What do we know? (laughs)
2: I la 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 I la 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 I,